Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Satan can snare us as Christians and take us captive as Christians to do his will. To do his will. That is terrifying to me. That is horrifying to me. And you know what's really scary to me is that those who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will don't realize it. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. Satan is sneaky and sometimes uses us to accomplish his will. We may even think we are helping the situation or doing the right thing when we're actually going against God. In his message, Pastor J.D. encourages us to be honest, open, and teachable. When we have been fooled by Satan, we must allow our brothers and sisters in Christ to open our eyes to it. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with his continuing study, Obstacles to Godliness. On Sunday mornings, we're going through 2 Corinthians now, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're going to begin in chapter 7, and our text will be the first seven verses, verse 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Corinth and says, verse 1, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts, verse 2. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken, verse 4, to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when you came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God, verse 6, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was even greater than ever. So today's teaching is going to be part two of a teaching I've titled, Obstacles to Godliness. Chapter 7, and this is important to understand as we get into this, is really a continuation of chapter 6. I know that's deeply profound, you know, that 7 follows 6, but you have to understand that there were no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts. And really, verse 1 of chapter 7 should be included in chapter 6, because in a sense, Paul is continuing his same train of thought from 
the previous chapter. Now, there is a noticeable change of tone in this chapter, such that he now seems to speak directly to the matter of the heart and, as well, the matter of the will. And to me, it's for this reason that the common denominator in everything that Paul writes them has to do with their unwillingness. This is the common denominator throughout everything we're about to see. It's their unwillingness concerning godliness. Now, it is true that the indwelling of and empowering from the Holy Spirit enables us to live a holy life, but that doesn't excuse us from our role as Christians in living a holy and godly Christian life. We have a very important role in our own choices and decisions as it relates to living a pure and holy life. And by the way, let me just say parenthetically that when you understand holiness in this way, it really kind of opens it up to the eyes of your understanding. Holiness should really be seen as wholeness. And by that I mean we, we live whole Christian lives, not half, not three quarters. Jesus said, I, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, a full, whole, fulfilled life, if you prefer. And this is what our Christian lives should be. They should be holy in the sense that we're living fulfilled, holy, pure Christian lives. What we're about to see, very specifically, is that which can become a hindrance on our part due to our unwillingness when it comes to living this pure, holy, righteous, and godly Christian life. The first obstacle to this is in verse 1, and it's our unwillingness to live spiritually pure lives. Here, Paul says, since we have the promises he just mentioned in the prior chapter, chapter 6. He says, therefore, let us purify ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. And then he continues on in verse 1, saying to them that we must be willing. Again, there's the will. We must be willing in our willingness to perfect holiness out of our reverence for God. This is key. That's actually woven into that, the why behind the what, even the how behind the what of living a holy life. It's out of reverence for God. It's out of a reverent fear of the Lord. Now, what Paul is saying here is interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is because of the way he says what he says, and perhaps more importantly, the way he doesn't say what he doesn't say. I know that sounds a little bit like a play on words, but notice first that Paul doesn't say, you need to purify yourselves. He says, let us purify ourselves. Also notice this, secondly, 
that it refers to this purifying, and as some of your translations render it, cleansing, this purifying or cleansing as being of both our bodies and of our spirit. Now, why do I point this out? Because Paul is talking about the spiritual impurities that we allow to take up residence in our lives. And this is more subtle. This is more subtle than the physical, fleshly impurities that we allow in our Christian lives to take up residence. These are more subtle, not so easily identified, let alone dealt with. Charles Spurgeon of this said, I wish we were more concerned about cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the Spirit. I am inclined to think that some men heedlessly pollute their spirits. I mean that they do it, and here it is, willfully. It's willful. And that is the heart of the matter. And this is why Paul is saying what he's saying in the way that he's saying it. We have two things on the table here. We have this willingness on our part or unwillingness on our part to live holy lives, both in our bodies, the flesh, and in our spirit. Now the question becomes that of what do we, as Spurgeon says, willingly pollute our spirits with to make us spiritually impure? I would suggest that at the very core of it, when you peel back all the layers from it, what you'll find is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. This is the most dangerous form of pride. There's pride, but there's also, I think, a delineation between pride and spiritual pride. What is spiritual pride? Spiritual pride is self-righteousness. Spiritual pride is legalism. And here's what comes packaged with it. Bitterness, contempt. It is birthed in a life that has become spiritually full of pride. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that present this spiritual pride, these impurities spiritually, the filthiness of the spirit, if you will, are in many ways more difficult to deal with than are the sins of the flesh. They're more obvious. Those impurities are more obvious, but it's not so obvious, not so well recognized when it's a spiritual impurity, a filthiness of the spirit. G. Campbell Morgan had this to say, there is a defilement of the spirit which is independent of the defilement of the flesh. The spirit can be defiled in many ways. I sometimes think that the sins of the spirit are more deadly than the sins of the flesh. The filthiness of the spirit. You know, we are here today and outwardly in our bodies, we're clean. We showered. <laughs> 
Most of you did, I hope, anyway. <laughs> and outwardly, we, we look clean. And you can tell when you look at somebody outwardly, but what you can't tell is what's on the inside. Man looks at the outward appearance. And by the way, you all look marvelous. I just wanted to let you know that. But see, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He sees right to the heart. What does he see when he sees my heart? Does he see my heart full of pride, spiritual pride? Does he see my heart being impure? How about this? How about the motives of my heart? Are the motives of my heart pure or are they impure? Do I have impure motives? In my heart. Well, this brings us to the second obstacle to godliness, and it's that of our unwillingness to be honest and open. In verse 2, Paul tells them to make room in their hearts as he had with them. He had really poured out his heart to them. He was very open and candid with them, had a great love for them, but they were not reciprocating it. And I think it's interesting what he says. He says that they've wronged no one, corrupted no one, nor exploit, exploited no one. Now, why would Paul say that? Because this is exactly what he was being accused of. In verse 3, he says that he doesn't want to condemn them. Rather, it's because they have such a place in his heart that he would in fact live and die with them. And I believe that about the Apostle Paul. And remember now, Paul knew them very well personally there in Corinth, spent a year and a half with them. I believe that he led many of them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He had a lot invested in them. He had a love for them. He cared deeply about them. And it was not being reciprocated by them. In verse 4, he says that while he has spoken bluntly with them, that's kind of an understatement, <laughs> very blunt, very firm, in love, as we talked about last week, because he loved them so much, he spoke the truth in love to them so much. But because he spoke bluntly with them, he takes great pride in them and is encouraged by them. And he says this in spite of the difficulty and the many trials that he had encountered. What Paul is saying here is that instead of the Corinthians being open and honest with him, they were unfairly critical of him. And this is sad. And I got to believe that this really hurt the heart of the Apostle Paul. They had believed the false accusations about Paul, and apparently there were many. And if this weren't bad enough, they themselves had even been falsely accusing Paul as well. And to me, this is why he tells them that he has been honest and open with them, such that he's never defrauded or wronged anyone. Reminds me of something that Oswald Chambers said in My Utmost with His Highest, Basically, this is the gist of it. As Christians, it's not, have I been wronged? It's, have I wronged? It's not, have I been defrauded? 
the question should be, have I defrauded? And I think of what Jesus said about removing first the beam in your own eye so that you can see that speck in your brother or sister's eye more clearly. And what's really interesting in the original language is that it would indicate that that speck that is in your brother or sister's eye actually came from the log that's in yours. You know that, that <laughs> think about that. That's pretty convicting. You know that saying, uh, takes one to no one? Okay, let me see if I can, uh, just by way of an illustration, uh, share with you how, how that and what that looks like, okay? Let's say that I say of you or to you, you're full of pride. The question needs to be asked, how do you know? How do you know what pride looks like? I'll tell you how you know what pride looks like. You know what pride looks like in my life, this speck of pride in my life, because you possess a beam of pride in your life. And that's how you know. That's how you know. And isn't it true <laughs> that our sin always looks so much worse on somebody else than it does ourselves? And is it also not true that we always tend to shed ourselves in a more favorable light. I, I find myself, even now, all these years I've been walking with the Lord when I'm in the Proverbs, which I love the Proverbs so much, and you get to those contrasting Proverbs, you know, the ones that say, the wicked do this, but the righteous do this. And as I'm reading it, I'm going, yeah, those wicked people. And because I'm the righteous? No, you're not. No, you're not. You're the wicked. You're the wicked. <laughs> you do that. No, I don't. Yes, you do. That's for you. That is you. You are the one. I think of the prophet Nathan to David after one year of covering his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and murder, the sin of murder of Uriah the Hittite, her husband. And the prophet Nathan says to David, Thou art the man. And to David's credit, he repented. And it was a godly sorrow that led to a genuine repentance. Now, this ends well, by the way, as we'll see, Lord willing, next week, because Paul is going to praise them for their repentance concerning a matter that he had written to them, very difficult issue that he had written to them in his first epistle. One of the things that I'm learning in my own walk with the Lord, particularly in the ministry, is that false accusations can destroy a brother and sister in Christ. I think of it's, I want to say it's Proverbs 7, might be 6, where it lists the, this is probably why I get it confused, the seventh thing, the six things that God hates, the seventh being an abomination. And what's really interesting is the seventh, which is an abomination, is the sowing of discord amongst the brethren. God not only hates that, it's an abomination. Now why? Why does God hate that so much? because of the damage it does to his people and the damage it does to his church. False accusations not only destroy Christians, but they can also 
destroy churches. And when they do, the devil couldn't be happier. Why? Because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, the devil uses Christians to do his accusatory bidding. What do you mean? I thought a Christian could not be demon-possessed. They cannot. If I'm born again of the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit indwells me, I cannot be possessed by a demonic spirit. However, I can be oppressed by a demonic spirit and I can also be a part of what Satan is doing, even as a born-again Christian. I can actually do Satan's bidding. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in his second epistle to Timothy, chapter 2. I'll read verses 24 through 26. He says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach. By the way, that also carries with it the idea, as it does in Titus, being teachable, which is what we're going to talk about next. The, the qualifications for an elder is not just able to teach, but being teachable, teachable. And that's what the original language indicates. So able to teach or be teachable, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may, listen, come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Did you catch that? You know what that means? That means that Satan can snare us as Christians and take us captive as Christians to do his will, to do his will. That is terrifying to me. That is horrifying to me. And you know what's really scary to me is that those who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will don't realize it. Don't realize it. And when you, as Paul says, gently, patiently, in humility, try to correct them, sometimes it just makes it infinitely worse. And I would suggest this is why God hates it. It is so destructive. It is so destructive. We are so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you'd like to learn more about the Apostle Paul's letter, we encourage you to continue reading ahead. As you do, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truths and promises contained in its verses to you. You can also hear additional messages from Pastor J.D. on this book by visiting our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Listen online or download these teachings to have available anytime. We've also created a mobile app as well for Apple and Android devices, so you can take Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you on the go. We'd also like to point you to the Aloha Prophecy Update tab on our website. And with more information, here's Pastor J.D. Thank you, Josh. 
One of the main reasons we do these prophecy updates is that we believe the rapture of the church can happen at any time. In fact, it may actually be closer than we even realize with all the things that are taking place in the world today. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said that when we see these things begin to come to pass, that we should look up and lift up our heads, knowing that our redemption draws nigh. We believe that Jesus was referring to that which is now happening in the world, especially geopolitically. It's my hope and prayer that these prophecy updates will be a source of encouragement to you as a listener, not only to ready you and steady you, but to share with others the lateness of the hour in these the last days of human history as we know it. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you will join us every week here at In Spirit and Truth Radio. Thanks, Pastor J.D. Head on over to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com to access these updates. And be sure to join us next time on In Spirit and Truth for more from the book of 2 Corinthians. Right.